You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Everybody, this is Lisa. Welcome to um, episode 10. This is a bonus episode. Um, I'm going to drop it earlier than I normally would. And it's a little bit off topic of what I've been talking about. But I thought it was really important. Um, It's really important for me. Uh, Last week, um, Friday and Saturday, I really kind of hit a wall. You know, we're now... um, in the sixth month going into the seventh month of this lockdown or we're not really locked down anymore, are we? But it's like, you know, the self isolation, the being worried about this pandemic and, you know, um, not being able to travel, not being able to see our friends. And, you know, for me having to like totally change the way that, um, I do business, um, and it was, I was like so down and so out, which is just like not my usual. Um, I was listening to another podcast, a Benet Brown podcast, and she talked about reading this article. It's called Surge Capacity. Um, and I uh, immediately, I loved what she had to say about surge capacity and how she was hitting the wall and how this isn't unusual. And so I um, immediately came back in because I listened to podcasts on my walk. Um, I immediately came back in and looked at this article and it was like such an aha moment for me, really. And it it kind of got the things flowing in me. It kind of got to a place where it's like, Oh, now I kind of get it. So this is something, this is um, a normal kind of reaction. Um, and it gave me a place to just be okay with the way that I was feeling like to not try to, you know, stop feeling it because, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm usually a glass half full kind of a person, Um, and it gave me a place to kind of let it out. And I want to do that for you as well. Um, I will put the link to that article, um, into the show notes so you can find them there. Um, and you can go and look at this article as well. Um, I also, at the same time as started to read a book, I bought it for myself as a reward for being such a good, um, worker, um, about, um, the way that we make things. And, um, it's, it's full of interesting, or it's called, I think it's called making, um, making a life. And it is really, it has, uh, it's about artists. It's about people working with their hands and making a life for themselves. There's weavers in there, there's potters, all kinds of different, um, artisans, um, some of whom you may have heard of, like um, like Judy um, Judith McKenzie is in there, and some people that you haven't. And so again, I'm going to uh, I will link that put that link into the show notes because these two things, this idea about surge capacity and this idea 
of, you know, using our hands to artify our life really um, came like smashed into each other. And it made me feel like, oh, wait, this is something that can be good. So let's go. Um, I'm calling this pandemic fatigue. And how do we survive it? Because I think that that is something that we're all thinking about these days. So for me, the, the, this pandemic fatigue, I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm scared a lot. I'm worried a lot. Um, sometimes I get really frustrated, especially with, um, I'm going to say people who live in this house. And it's not, <laughs> if you've been listening to my podcast, you know that the people who live in my house may have two legs or they may have four legs. Um, it recently, um, have some of the the four-legged creatures in our house um, have been very frustrating, especially um, when we are trying to work and, you know, a delivery person comes and there's, or the phone rings that, you know, we've got dogs that the minute you get on the phone, it's just like if you have kids, the minute you get on the phone, they want your attention. Um, so they have been a little bit frustrating. And it's just going on and on and the fatigue is really starting to wear me down and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So in this article, um, the, the author talked to Ann Marston, who's a PhD, um, and she, her work is in this surge capacity and I had never heard of this before. So, um, Dr. Marston says that this is a collection of adaptations, collections, collection of the ways that we work and adapt to draw and these, we draw on these adaptations when we're faced with short-term survival in an acutely stressful situation, like a tornado or a flood or a hurricane or a fire. I can think of this like, you know, right now I have family members in Oregon um, who are on the verge of maybe having to evacuate. So she, my cousin had to use, you know, all of her surge capacity um, to be able to like pack the car. What are you going to take? What do you need? You know, clothes and family mementos and you better take some food and water, right? Um, so we, these are the things that we draw on, the surge capacity, the way that we can um, draw on our inner strength to get through these um, tasks in order to survive. If it's a flood, you know, you're going to that place and getting sandbags and putting the sandbags out. You know, we had a tornado here, um, I want to say three years ago. And it was right before we were doing a studio tour weekend. And man, we had to use our surge capacity to get out there, you know, take the trucks out there, call people up to come. You know, if you come in the front way and we come from the house, we'll meet you in the middle with our um, with our chainsaws. And so that we can at least open the driveway up. So those, that's what the surge capacity is. But man, we ha and we did use that. We used that in the first couple months, I think, trying to find toilet paper. That was an emergency, you know, um, trying to get our kids onto um, devices. If you were a teacher, you had to change all your lesson plans and you had to get on the computer and you had to find a way to connect with kids over the Internet and how to connect with kids that 
don't have the internet. Um, you were using all the the strength that you had to survive day to day. But man, it's month seven. We are in a currently like a, a slowly unfolding disaster. We're in a disaster where it's, it cascades, it builds on itself, and the and it also recedes a little bit. So you know, here in Maryland, um, our governor has opened it up to you know seventy five percent capacity in a restaurant. But if those numbers go up, it's going to they're going to have to, you know, put those restrictions back in place and close down parts of restaurants again. And so it's this ebb and this flow. It's like it's the relief. Oh, we're making progress. And then the and then the devastating effect of no, we're not. We're in the same ballpark park. Right. No, we're not. We still have to we have to wear our masks and, you know, we have to take care of ourselves. And so we're in this thing, it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? We're in a chronic emergency. You know, emergency means like it should be a short-term term thing, but no, it's becoming this a chronic emergency. And because of this, it's really trauma-producing. You know, I, I do feel that, that ebb and that flow and that, you know, the trauma of you know, having to change expectations and then feeling elated and then having to change expectations. Um, and since this is chronic and ongoing, that um, our surge capacity is really being depleted. And that's where this, this pandemic fatigue, as I'm calling it, I think that's where it's coming in, where we have used up our inner resources and somehow we have to build them back up or somehow learn to deal with this new reality. And so like with what, what we're all facing are all these losses. You know, you may have lost family and friends. You may have lost your job. You for sure, have, well, not for sure, you most likely have lost your job, going to your job, right? Interacting with people at your job, having collegial um, conversations. Maybe you're doing that in a Zoom meeting now. Maybe you're doing that um, in a Skype meeting. But there's that the kind of that, that loss of what used to be your job. For sure, there's been a loss of schooling. I know last year, that end of the semester, the last part of the year last year, that was a waste. You know, I'm a public school teacher. I know there wasn't real learning going on. There wasn't, I'm not going to say everybody, but there wasn't a whole lot of real teaching going on. So our kids lost the, their momentum in schooling. And again, for most of us here in Maryland, we are still schooling virtually. Our governor says that they can start going back to school and they should go start go, going back to school in the middle of this month. And I feel like that's maybe too soon. I feel like, you know, we may be having this this ebb and flow thing where, you know, they put them back in school. And then um, two weeks later, one week later, four days later, they're going to close a classroom or a school or a district. And it's just going to, again, be that loss of schooling. For sure, there's a lot, lots of ritual. So many people that I know, their children's weddings were postponed or delayed or changed. Um, 
people couldn't go to funerals. People are, um, we did a Zoom uh, retirement party for my cousin's husband. Um, people couldn't go to a party like that or a birthday party or an anniversary party. We're losing those rituals that kind of make us, they, they build our social fabric um, within our communities for sure. Loss of human connection. Um, yeah, I do Zoom meetings a lot, but I really enjoy it when I get to see people in real life. The loss in the trust of the government is huge. Um, and because I try to keep things apolitical here on the podcast and mostly in my business, I'm just going to leave it at that. We just don't trust the government. There's a lot of people that aren't going to trust that vaccine. Um, and it's it's a loss and then the loss of freedom, the loss of freedom to move around, the loss of freedom to travel. Um, we, I love traveling to Europe and to other countries. And because we had our plans were changed and interrupted. So now I'm doing puzzles of the places that we have either been or we're planning to go. So at least I can kind of work on seeing those places. I know that's kind of weird, right? But it's, you know, I'm trying. We're all trying out there. So in this same article, and they were talking about these losses, and another term came up that I hadn't heard of before called ambiguous loss. Um, and so this was coined by um, Pauline Boss, or she's one of the workers, or the, one of the people that are studying ambiguous loss. And basically, it's ambiguous loss because it's unclear what the loss is. And the loss lacks any resolution. It just goes on and on. You know, we, you know, we may have lost the connection with our family. They're still there and there's still some kind of connection, but it's just not the same. That's what I'm feeling that this is about. And Pauline Boss says this is particularly hard for people who are problem solvers and people that thrive on routine and people who are known to get things done because this ambiguous loss and these changes in our life make us feel helpless and make us feel hopeless. And that's exactly what I was feeling last weekend. Like I felt um, helpless to do anything to affect um, what would happen in this virtual festival that we just had. And I felt hopeless um, that because I was helpless, like, and it just like compounded on itself. And this, uh, this ambiguous loss is a lot like a death. It still goes through what the experts are saying. It still goes through those stages of grief. And so we have to be prepared that it's, we're, we are grieving. We're grieving the loss of our old life and having to start a new one. Yeah, so it is, it's a whole new world out there, right? And we do have new stress. I'm trying, like I said, I try to be a glass half full person. So I also think that there are new opportunities in, within that new stress. Um, part of the, one of the big ones that I see, um, especially because since I'm looking at it kind of through a school teacher lens, is, you know, as hard as it is to have your family at home working and schooling, as stressful as that is, it's also time to make stronger relationships. 
you know, if you have little kids at home or if you're able to see your grandkids, this this time is precious because um, when would we ever have the chance to spend that much quality time with the people who are living in your house? And in, in order to recharge our surge capacity and lower our stress, there are some things that we can do for ourselves. There are some ways that we can change what we are doing and the change the way we are thinking in order to recharge our, our inner resources and our surge capacity. So some of those things are we can accept the loss and accept our new reality. Um, I've started to do that a lot to not resist it, to not just say, well, I'm not, you know, this is, this has to end, this has to end, but to use that energy in a different way, to use that energy of it must end to turn it around. Well, what, what can I do to make it, make those things better for myself? You have got to expect less from yourself and that's really hard. And you have to expect less from those around you because we're all living under this, strange stress and hopefully by expecting a little less from yourself you can move into that mental space where you can do some constructive things in your life to bring back um, your strength to bring back the peace in your life Um, in this article they were talking about a thoracic surgeon who Um, was feeling this and the way that he he made himself, the way he took care of himself was that he changed all the light bulbs in his house and he changed all the shower heads and it made him feel so good. He was doing something creative and, and something, um, I don't know if it was that creative, I shouldn't say that, but he was doing something that was like um, constructive. That's what I meant. constructive in his life. It was something that had been probably on his to-do list for a while. And it made him feel better, made him feel better about himself. And for us, maybe that's reorganizing your collection of yarn or going through your patterns and saying, oh, honey, I'm never going to make that pattern. Let's just get rid of that. Maybe it's going through your Ravelry library and and doing the same thing, cleaning out things that um, just make you feel guilty. And or maybe it's starting a new hobby or a new activity with your family. Like I was mentioning the puzzle thing. We never did puzzles. Um, But now it's like, oh, this is something that we can do together. Bill does a puzzle very differently than I do a puzzle. And so we work on different parts of the puzzle. And it is a way to build stronger relationships. And of course, keep zooming and doing those socially distanced picnics if you can, trying to um, see your friends and family members in a way that's responsible and also really fills your heart. So in this article, they were talking about the way that our brains work and basically it's in two ways. So the brain and my brain, oh my gosh, my brain loves this, thinking and planning about the future. I mean, I already have my 2021 uh, planner and I cannot wait to crack it open. That's crazy, but that's how I am. And the brain also likes to focus on the here and now. And I was looking at if you're going to be watching this on the YouTube channel, I realized I put the wrong here now. I put the here as far as um, hearing, 
probably because I was thinking about the senses. The brain likes to, you know, the here and now is like experiencing um, through all of our senses what's happening. That's seeing things, touching things, hearing things, smelling things, tasting things. And isn't that just like what we as crafters, knitters, crocheters, quilters, weavers, dyers, isn't that what we love? We love to go to a festival or go into our studios and just touch the stuff. And then we're dreaming about what can I make with that yarn or what am I going to make with that piece of material? And so I think that's my brain loves that. And I think that that's why we all love starting projects. Finishing them is another matter. But I think that we that 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 feeling that we get at a festival, at a yarn stop shop, or even just within our collections, when we're looking at our collections, is that joy of using not only the here and now, what I'm looking at, what I'm touching, but also thinking and planning about what I can make in the future. So what do you think that we should do now? So according to all of the experts, um, you need to have acceptance and this, and to have a good time in spite of what, of the virus, in spite of what's happening. Have those socially distanced picnics in your backyard um, or at a park with, you know, distancing from other people, but at least having that connection. See the silver lining, um, like, like the reconnecting with your family. Or for me, I always wanted to start a podcast. Well, guess what? Now I have one. This is episode 10. It was something that was on my to-do list, but I didn't have the time. And now I have the time to do it. Use your creative thinking for out-of-the-box thinking, especially around self-care. If we can't go to get a pedicure, what can we do instead? If we can't go to the store and try on clothes, what can we do instead? Focus on strengthening your relationships with friends and family, and then be you know, build your resilient bank account. You know, start with some start and maintain some practices that will recharge you. That might be meditation, that might be painting or taking a walk, something that is going to recharge you and fill up that bank. And primarily, be gentle with yourself and those around you because we're all going through the same thing, and we're all going through this together. So again, I have been, uh, this is where these two worlds collide. So reading this book, um, Making a Life, and the first interview in that book is with this sociologist called, um, named Helen DeSanaki. I think that's how you say her name. I'm not quite sure. It was a really interesting interview, and um, I then uh, downloaded her academic paper about um, this um, making and using materials because it really fascinated me. Um, she's a, she's a kind of a self-taught sociologist and primarily her studies look at children, at prehistoric um, peoples, and also at um, ethnic groups that um, are not part of the first world. And by looking at these things, these populations, it, it helped her to discover a few um, basic principles 
about making that I thought were really interesting and I want to share with you that one of the sentences that just jumped off the page at me was nothing created by humans is achieved without the use of our hands. Think about that. And it's, it's you know, whether we're writing something, making dinner, um, taking a photograph, everything that we are creating is made somehow with our hands. Now, there may, I, I was trying to think of, is there anything that does not apply here? And, you know, if your computer has speech to text and you are using that, then I guess you wouldn't be using your hands in that way. Um, but that's the only thing that I can think of. And if you can think of anything else, put it in the comments. Um, I'd love to hear your ideas. And she found that handling materials, using your hands and handling materials is pleasurable, just like walking is pleasurable and playing is pleasurable. And, you know, I see that all the time with my customers. People just want to come and feel the yarn, fondling the yarn. It makes us happy. Um, she also says that there's an inherent pleasure in making something from your hands and heads and hearts and making something that didn't exist before. And, you know, we can see that in little kids, you know, making, you know, little clay ashtrays or little, you know, coil pots, those kind of things. Um, but it isn't all about making. When she was looking at many of these cultures, it was about taking the ordinary and making it the ex extraordinary, making um, you did not just wearing um, a, a you know piece of clothing, but actually decorating that clothing that makes it yours and makes it extraordinary. And she was coining this term artifying you know, making it a verb to artify. Um, when I was doing my little PowerPoint here, you know, Microsoft does not like that word. It's not, it's not a real word yet, but I think it should be. And so it's about celebrating the mundane reality by transforming real things into the extraordinary. And in that area, I think we have an edge um, because that's, that's where we take a lot of pleasure already. Um, so Ellen was saying that handiwork promotes not only pleasure, but also a contemplative state of mind. And I think we have, we know that. And I think we have all felt that if you're a spinner, so many people have said, you know, oh, spinning, it just, you know, makes me feel so relaxed um, I found that with weaving too, once you get into the rhythm of weaving, you can then free up your mind, relax your mind. She also said that in a world that's hyperverbal and hyper analytical and a world where real and pretend are hard to distinguish, that handiwork, working with our hands and crafting something with our hands is the antidote to that. Working with real materials made into physical existence um, is artifying. And that artwork engages in the real world. And I was thinking of yarn bombing, how this phenomenon of people making little bits of yarn and putting it out into the world, um, you know, covering um, 
stop signs and covering buildings and um, park benches and things like that and making those those things um, extraordinary, right? When you walk by a bench that's covered with, you know, exuberantly colored uh, knitting or crocheting or something like that, it just makes you happy. It's taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. And it also means that making is not just pleasurable, but it's also meaningful. It's people are finding meaning to that art bombing. If you, if I encounter a park bench that is, is yarn bombed, there's meaning in that. Somebody made that to make a statement. And right now, I think we need to have meaningful things in our lives in order to reset our brains and our emotions. Because it's hard to find meaning when we're day by day, over and over, just trying to survive and not get sick. So that's my, my bonus episode for today. And I would really like to know how you guys are doing at this time. Um, I'd really love to see what you're making. Um, you can certainly tag me, or especially if you're using my yarn or my roving, you can tag me on your Instagram or Facebook. You can reply to the YouTube that I put up. You can just send me an email. Um, I love to see what you're doing during this time. I'd love to um, keep connected. Um, I think it's important, and I think it's one of the most human things that we can do right now. So until I see you again, either in person or virtually, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website, at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making. <laughs>